today we are, this is our fifth week, um, and then next week will be the last Sunday Um So a little recap, I think the handouts that are on the tables, you can fold them, they're foldable. There's not much room to write on them, so you might have to use a separate piece of paper if you want to take notes on them. I think that's just so you follow along, there's some key points on there, and keep it. Um, so a little recap of what we've done so far. We started with the historical reliability of the Bible. We focused on the New Testament, but we talked about some other things. Then we went to the Bible is inspired. What does it mean that the Bible is inspired by God? Went through the Bible is authoritative. Uh, last time we did the Bible is infallible and inerrant. And today we're going to do how we got the Bible, canonicity. Um, that question has kind of been in the background of our minds even probably from the beginning. Like, I think there were already some questions about it. So today, uh, we'll be able to answer some of these questions. I may skip some things if time starts to run short. Um, but uh, I think we'll be able to get through a good portion of it. Uh, so I'm just going to read. Um, Article, I think that's 17, of the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inheritance. It states, we affirm that the Holy Spirit bears witness to the scriptures and assuring believers of the truthfulness of God's written word. We deny that this witness of the Holy Spirit operates in isolation from or against scripture. Uh, yes. So, so let's, uh, let's just open and pray, and then we'll jump in. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that we have in our language, that you've preserved it throughout history, and that we have it for uh, ourselves to read and cherish, and to know your promises and the truths of who you are. Uh, Father, we pray just as we go through the seminar that you give us uh, understanding, you help us to face some of these challenging questions, and uh, Lord, we just pray for your grace as we uh, continue to just seek to understand who you are and to understand your word more and more. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, by way of introduction, this is not what I'm affirming. This is from the Da Vinci Code. If you guys heard of the Da Vinci Code, it's a book written by Dan Brown. It's an American thriller novelist. It was published in 2003. And I'm just going to read a little um, uh, dialogue between a couple of characters in the book. And it presents a common misconception about how the Bible was collected. So it says, uh, uh, this is a dialogue between Lee and Sophie. More than 80 Gospels were considered for the New Testament, and yet only a relative few were chosen for inclusion. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in one Who chose which Gospels to include, Sophia? Aha, Lee burst with enthusiasm. The fundamental irony of Christianity, the Bible as we know it today, was collected by the pagan Roman Emperor Constantine the Great. That is wrong. <laughs> and most people understand that this book is a work of fiction. But this misconception that the Bible was collected by the, the councils or rulers or popes, <clears throat> authorities, that they've decided what books were going to be the Bible and what books weren't going to be the Bible, is a misconception held by a lot of people in today's society. And um, it's wrong. Uh, so here's the truth. The truth is most of the biblical canon was already decided long before Constantine, who lived around the middle of the fourth century. Um, the remaining questions about the biblical canon that still existed during even this time were not resolved until at least several decades after his death. So until the late fourth century. As far as we know, Constantine himself had no significant involvement whatsoever in the selection of the text to be included in the New Testament. So this idea presented by the Da Vinci Code that was around uh, was altogether false, but people still ran with it. Uh, but that's not the question that we'll, we're going to be dealing with today. Some questions I hope we can answer today are who decides what books are to be included in the canon of scripture? What are the tests that are used to decide which books are included in the canon of scripture? And what do we do with the apocryphal or disputed books of the Bible? So I'm going to start with uh, the meaning of the word canon. I think the definition is on that little pamphlet. The word canon comes from the word reed. The reed was used as a measuring rod, and the word came to mean standard. The third century uh, church father, Origen, used the word canon to denote what we call the rule of faith, the standard by which we are to measure and evaluate. Uh, and when we apply it to scripture, canon means an officially accepted list of books. Um, so when we think about the canon, it's important to, to understand that the church did not create the canon. It did not determine which books would be called scripture. So it wasn't the church that decided, like, this is going to be scripture, this is not going to be scripture. Instead, the church merely recognized or discovered which books had been inspired from their inception. A book is not the word of God because it is, it is accepted by the people of God. Rather, it was accepted by the people of God because it is the Word of God. A book is not the Word of God because it is accepted by the people of God. Rather, it was accepted by the people of God because it is the Word of God. So that is, God gives it, gives the book its divine authority, not the people of God. They merely recognize the divine authority which God gives it. That last part is quoted from Norman Geisel. I think uh, this is a, a subtle distinction, but it's an important one. The Bible is not an inspired collection of inspired books. It is only a collection of inspired books. So what that means is that the people that collected the Bible were not themselves infallible 
or inspired by God to do so. Only the books that they collected were. Uh, the former view would be uh, the Roman Catholic position on how they decided which books would be included in the Bible. In God's wisdom, however, and in his province, he used secondary means to preserve scripture. The truth is, the canon as we have it today not, wasn't officially recognized until 397 AD at the Third Council of Carthage. However, most of the books of the New Testament were already considered inspired, inspired by the middle of the second century. So, Madison and I talked about this not that long ago. She was confused about what we meant by the second century. The second century does not mean starting at 200 to 300. The second century means starting at the year 100 to 200. I don't know if that's, uh, hopefully, you wouldn't do that. If you didn't, but that's just when people say, when they refer to centuries, that's what they mean. Um, so, I don't want to do that. I don't have one of the packets. What's the next subject? <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. So, early attempts to formulate a camera. So, I listed uh, from earliest to the latest. Um, the latest attempt to formulate a canon that included all 27 books of the Bible, of the New Testament. Uh, the earliest attempt <coughs> uh, was by this guy named Martian of Sinope. He lived from 85 AD to 160 AD, and he was a heretic. Uh, and what he believed was that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament were two different gods. Uh, this was long before any modern speakers and authors ever proposed that we should unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. The Martian uh, beat them to it. Uh, he taught that there is not one God but two, and that the God of the Jews, whose deeds are described in the Hebrew Bible, and the God of uh, whose deeds are preached by Jesus are actually two different deities altogether. Uh, Martian taught that the God of the Jews was weaker uh, and an inferior, inferior deity who was overly concerned with rules and justice, whereas the God preached about by Jesus was a mightier, superior God who understood the importance of love, compassion, and mercy. It's interesting that uh, this was the first attempt to canonize scripture. It, it was um, starting uh, the early second century. Uh, however, it was done by someone that hold views that were contrary to scripture. Most of his books, the, what he uh, recognized as a canon, excluded a lot of books in all of the Old Testament. I think the only gospel he included was the Gospel of Luke. Um, however, what this shows is that the need to create an officially recognized canon con containing all the inspired books of the Bible was something that was important. And so I, I think just seeing the development of 
how the canon was formulated through history is, is an indication as to why people decided to hold councils and meetings and to say that these are the only books that are considered to be the Bible. Um, I think the first week we talked about uh, Irenaeus and we read some of his, uh, his writings from Against Heresies. Uh, Irenaeus lived from the year 130 AD to 202 AD, and in his writings he quoted 21 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Uh, he didn't include Hebrews, James, 2 Peter, 2 and 3 John, and Revelation. Mostly because these books were still in debate as to whether they were actually scripture. But the majority of the New Testament was already recognized as scripture, even as early as the first and second century. It wasn't until, so, so it wasn't just at the, the, the Council of Cartridge that people decided that these were going to be scripture. The early church had uh, believed that these books were inspired from the beginning. Um, so the Council of Carthage in 397 AD stated that the church received from its fathers the books which should receive, be received as scripture. And this was the earliest known canonization of the 27 books of the Bible. So in the list they included all 27 books. But even after that there was still debate as to the some of those books, whether they should be included or not, or whether other books should be included. So with that, let's move on to the next section. Tests for inclusion in the canon. Who decides? Does someone want to do some reading? They can read the first, uh, the first little paragraph there. Uh, the basic factor for recognizing a book, book's canonicity for the New Testament was divine inspiration, and the chief test for this was apostolic origin. So, what that means is that uh, the books that were decided to be in the New Testament, the basic test used was apostolic origin and apostolic imposition, or what they imposed on the church to be scripture. Um, by the middle of the second century, the collection in general use contained all the books which we receive uh, now, with the possible exceptions of Jude, 2nd and 3rd John, and 5 years. So the reason that makes the most sense why those books were included were because of their their size rather than their content. But as you can see, most of the books were already decided upon and, and it was clear that these were written by those that either were close to the apostles or the apostles themselves and were imposed on the church as the word of God. This is a quote from B.B. Warfield, where he talks about the principle of canonicity. He says, the principle of canonicity was not 
apostolic authorship alone, but imposition by the apostles as law. The apostles <coughs> so imposed the Old Testament on the churches, which they founded as their instrument, law, or canon, can be denied by none. And in imposing new books on the same churches by the same apostolic authority, they did not confine themselves to the books to the to books of their own composition or their own uh, writing. It is the gospel according to Luke, a man who is not an apostle, which Paul parallels in 1 Timothy 5.18 with Deuteronomy as equally scripture with it. It is the first existent quotation of a New Testament book as scripture. So I wanted to go to some passages of scripture. Uh, maybe... So if... Uh, we have some volunteers who read some of these passages. I'll give them to you. No, I didn't put them here, so I forget. I'll give them to you. <clears throat> so if someone would want to open up to 1 Timothy 5.18, someone can just raise their hand. This is a real job. The second one will be Luke 10, 7. Really? Uh, third one, Second Peter three fifteen to sixteen. I saw Alex raise his hand three times. <laughs> and then the last one will be First Thessalonians two thirteen. Okay, so uh, starting with First Timothy. Well, the scripture says, "You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages." So that's a quote from uh, the second part is a quote from Luke chapter 10, verse 7. The first is from Deuteronomy. Uh, does anyone who would have Luke? They're made the same house, eating and drinking what eating and drinking what they provide for the labor deserves his wages. Not go from house to house. Okay. In the middle. But the, the purpose of it is, is to see that he quoted exactly from Luke. Uh, second Peter. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, but the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So, just from those three, we see Peter, the apostle, is giving authority to Paul's writings as scripture. He holds them as, uh, as an equal standard. We see Paul imposing the book of Luke, and quoting from the book of Luke, and quoting it as scripture, uh, as equally scripture, with the Old Testament. And we just see even from internally within Scripture of the, the how the tests of Scripture included imposition by the apostles. And they did it with the authority of God. Uh, the last one, First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians? Yeah. First Thessalonians 2.13. Oh, um, and for this cause we also give thanks to God without ceasing, 
that when you receive from us the word of the message, even the word of God, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also works in you that believe. So we see there that Paul is saying that the early church accepted what he said, not as merely the words of a man, but as the very words of God. And so those tests for New Testament conclusion of Scripture, um, we see in Scripture itself, but we also see it in how the early church viewed these writings. Um, When it comes to the Old Testament, I have a quote here from Charles Hodge. Um, and I'll just read it. It says, uh, All therefore that is necessary to determine for Christians the canon of the Old Testament is to ascertain what books were included in the scriptures recognized by the Jews of that period. This is the point, point about which there is no reasonable doubt. The Jewish canon of the Old Testament included all the books and no others, which Protestants now recognize as constituting the Old Testament scriptures. On this ground, Protestants reject the so-called apocryphal books. Uh, they were not written in Hebrew and not included in the canon of the Jews. They were, therefore, not recognized by Christ as the word of God. And this reason is self-sufficient. So it's pretty much saying, so when it comes to the Old Testament, we hold to the books that were included in what the Jews of the time would have considered the Old Testament, because that's what Jesus would have used, and that's what the apostles would have had. Um, so there wasn't much debate there. There, there are things that uh, can be explored, but we don't really have time to do that. Moving on, we're going to go to the marks of inclusion in the canon. Uh, these <coughs> weren't original to me. I got that from uh, Josh McDowell. But he gave uh, five marks of inclusion. It says, uh, was the book written by a prophet of God? Was the writer confirmed by acts of God? Did the message tell the truth about God? Does it come with the power of God? And was it embraced by the people of God as the very words of God? So, for the first one, it's pretty straightforward. Was the book written by a prophet of God? If it was written by a spokesman for God, then it was the word of God. Because they claim to speak. Uh, uh, as a spokesman for God. Was the writer confirmed by acts of God? Frequently miracles separated the true prophets from the false ones. A miracle is not an act. Uh, a miracle is an act to confirm, uh, an act of God to confirm the word of God given through the prophet of God to the people of God. It is a sign to substantiate uh, his word. Did the message tell the truth about God? Uh, God cannot contradict himself, nor can he utter what is false. Hence, no book with false claims can be considered the word of God. And does it come with the power of God? This one is an interesting one. This pretty much states that the church fathers believed that God's word is living and active, and uh, had the ability to transform people's lives and be used for edification and evangelism. If the message of God did not affect its stated goal, 
and not have the power to change a life. That would be a little, we can say it's subjective, but that's the characteristic of God's Word, that it has the ability to do that. Um, was it embraced by the people of God as the very Word of God? So we already read 1 Thessalonians 2.13, which stated that the, the church accepted the Paul's writing to them as not just merely the words of men, but as the word of God. Um, now, let's go to the apocryphal books. So how do we deal with the apocryphal books? I've got a little list there. I really tried to squeeze in a lot on this pamphlet. And so I apologize if the writing is small, but I didn't want to do it one sheet to serve the paper. Um, this just for the people's sake, the apocryphal books you're referring to here aren't the apocryphal that were in the Yes, yeah, that's true. It, it is not, it, if you have a Roman Catholic Bible, they'll include certain books and the uh, apocryphal uh, section, but these are just some other ones that uh, have been written in the history of the church, or in, I guess not the history of the church, just in general. Um, Wisdom does not imply that this book 
and non-biblical documents were themselves inspired. Uh, that's that's the first thing. And so just because the book is quoted or something is quoted in scripture doesn't immediately mean that everything that that book says <coughs> is inspired. It, it, it takes understanding the context. Um, or that everything in it is endorsed by the Bible. This is uh, from the Reformation Study Bible. So uh, this is where I got this quote. It is the use of the particular reference that is inspired, not the source of that reference. So the actual uh, use of it in Scripture is inspired, but that doesn't mean that the source of it is inspired. Um, the second thing I want to look at uh, is other books that aren't included in the canon of scripture that were written by so-called apostles, uh, namely the epistle of Barnabas. Um, this is an early Christian writing. It was probably written around 80 to 120 AD. And although it is not a part of the New Testament canon, that is often uh, mentioned by different church fathers, and even some of the earliest believe that it was uh, actually scripture. It doesn't contain anything that would be necessarily heretical. Um, and some of it can be useful, but uh, it isn't considered scripture. The, the only reason why it's called the Epistle of Barnabas is because uh, Clement of Alexandria attributed it to him uh, in the fourth century. Uh, however, the epistle itself doesn't say anything about Barnabas. It doesn't mention his name. So, um, we don't consider that to be uh, scripture. And that's one of the, uh, the few exceptions of things that, of books that were written pretty early that we would, there could be some debate about, or there was debate about. But most of the, I think there's over a hundred apocryphal books written uh, after the first century. Um, and most of them are, can be immediately tossed out because they contain contradictions. They're not uh, substantiated by historical evidence. And uh, most of them were written after the second century. So the people are, throwing that argument around, saying there's a bunch of books out there that are uh, gospel, uh, books that weren't included, or other epistles. Uh, most of those don't hold any, any water, and they were all written much later than uh, all the officially recognized books of the New Testament. So the last thing I have here is to talk about Hebrews, which is an interesting case, um, because it also doesn't say the name of the person who wrote it. Um, some people believe it was Paul, others believe it was Luke. Um, uh, but. Uh, I found this article from Desiring God that was pretty helpful in answering the question, and you're welcome to look it up and read the whole thing. <coughs> but they gave 
some principles for how Hebrews is uh, recognized as scripture. And they gave this, uh, this other means, uh, not by the identity of the author, but by the glory of God shining through scripture. Um, Origen, who was a church father of the 4th century, believed that uh, Hebrews was scripture. And he said, who wrote the epistle in truth, God knows. And that's the title of the article if you want to look it up. Um, some of the, the uh, details that they gave were the kind of person who wrote Hebrews, Hebrews, whoever it was, was someone like Luke. And though Paul didn't write it, this, this is what the article there's a debate here, then we can talk about it and ask questions. But um, the, the author was a part of the apostolic circle and known to readers as proximate to Paul and Timothy. He likely had a Jewish background with uh, Hellenistic upbringing and training and was a master in Greek. So, uh, just there, there's been debate uh, whether Hebrews is. Scripture and it's difficult because the author doesn't directly identify himself. Uh, however, this uh, he was in the apostolic circle, and we see the imposition of Hebrews by even the early church as scripture, and we have reason to believe that uh, that is genuine. Uh, but there are other questions, and there are a lot that we can't really talk about in depth here. But those are just some basic rules and principles for understanding how we decide, or how we must decide which books are scripture, how we go about thinking about the scripture, and how the books are collected. And just uh, some history that could be uh, illuminating to us to see that the Bible was preserved, uh, and we're not trying to avoid or duck and dodge questions about the authenticity of the books. Um, I want to close with reading from the Westminster Confession of Faith. We don't, we don't adhere to it, uh, but there's much in it that is really useful. This is, it was written around the 17th century, I mean 1600, 1700. Um, and this is uh, the section uh, of the Holy Scripture. And I thought this would be good to read if uh, someone wants to volunteer to read it. It's, uh, it's on the sheet. Evan, yeah. uh, you want to read it? Yeah, I'm going to read it. Uh, here we go. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture and the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, the many other comparable excellencies and the entire perfection thereof, are arguments whereby it does abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God. Yet, notwithstanding, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and defined divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness 
by and with the word in our hearts. I thought that was really helpful to understand because going through this, um, we begin to think, you know, it's all an intellectual exercise. And as long as we give non-believers a just a good uh, answer, we just kind of shut them down. That you know they should just accept the truth and and uh, believe the Bible and believe what God says. Um, but we see here just the, the Westminster divines acknowledged is that <coughs> the Bible, just the, its writing is majestic. It's uh, consistent. It gives glory to God. But ultimately, the reason why we believe the Bible is because the Holy Spirit worked in our hearts. So if we, you know, maybe we don't go and really memorize uh, all these things. It's good for us to know them so that we have, uh, we know what we believe, and we can uh, give a reason for why we believe it. But ultimately, the reason why we believe it is the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to our spirit, and giving testimony that the Bible is the Word of God. So, um, I say that so that we remember to be gracious when we think about these questions, and to not run away from questions as they come, because you know, people will raise debates, and you know we may hear things, but the Bible has stood the test of time, and we believe it because the Holy Spirit has worked in our hearts. Uh, and brought us to a knowledge of the truth. So, with that, um, I'll open it up. Does anyone have any questions, or comments, or something that they would like to raise? Yeah, just to support the point that you were talking about, too, um, the passage of Jude that quotes from the Book of Enoch that we don't even have, right? That's not considered inspired scripture. Elsewhere, too, it makes me think of um, Paul, I think, in Titus and First Corinthians quotes from a Greek philosopher or poet, like when he says that companies corrupt good morals. Right? So the inspired author can use other sources, and he's not saying that those other sources are inspired. Right? There's truth that can be taken out of that. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a, that example in Acts 17, and he quotes back to them uh, their own philosopher's writings that Paul was aware of them and it's quoted in scripture that quotation is inspired, but that doesn't mean he endorses everything that they said. Any questions? Anything that was uh, interesting? Anyone want further resources? Just to give you a little more information about the, uh, the epistles and things that came after the New Testament in the early church. There are some writings like First Planet and some of the others that dealt with the past ironies and They wrote in their own names and they wrote, and these are valuable in supporting how early the scriptures are because they, they quote many of the, the New Testament, many of the books of the New Testament. And they quote it. Uh, they're not trying to present themselves as equal to the scripture. They're just 
epistles that people would write to each other and, and you know, to support the church or, or various matters. But then there are those books, like the Gospel of Covenants, and you hear so much about it. That's pseudographia. They were trying to impersonate the apostles for various things, and that's why they use their names. Basically, they're lying about, about whether it was written by Thomas or Paul or, or whoever. Um, and that's the intention of those books is usually bad. Uh, they claim the authority that they, they didn't have and presenting it as true. Yeah, yeah, so the, there are writings like um, <coughs> the disciple of uh, John, Polycarp, who wrote a book called The Epistles of the Philippians. I think it's the only uh, surviving writing from Polycarp. Poly Polycarp disciple Irenaeus, who was the one that, I said, quoted 21 books of the 27 in his writings in his lifetime. So people debated whether to include some of their writings, or um, whether they were scripture. Uh, and yeah, so. Yeah, they're, 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 even though they're not scripture, they're still useful. Anything else? So I know that you said that the, uh, the apocryphal books that you referred to were not the apocrypha uh, that the Catholic faith includes with their scriptures. Do, but are any of the apocryphal books in there? Um, no, and the the reason so they separate it because they they don't think of it as the same either. So that's why they they, they separate it from what they consider the Bible. Oh, uh, the Roman Catholic. Yeah. So the, what they include, you know, I think there's a, a first and second. Maccabees from the Old Testament and other books, but those weren't uh, originally written in Hebrew, and, and so they, you know, even some of the early church included some of those books. But and this is why, like, understanding the canonicity of the Bible isn't it, it isn't like a, a the people that decided there was a, a method to doing it in a way that. Um, uh, a secondary means that God used in, in understanding which books were inspired. Um, and it had developed over time and history. But even in the, in the uh, second century, there was this need because you had people like uh, Martian, who was a heretic, deciding which books were going to be the Bible. And so the Christians of the time recognized that we need to, we need to develop a canon. And that's gone on through the centuries that people have talked about it and debated which books should be included. Um, but just even just using these simple tests, it, it, we're able to see the scripture testifies to itself that it's scripture, and we see the apostles testifying to it, but Peter had Yeah, in the course of history, in, in the development of the Old Testament, you also have, you know, Books that came in, you know, afterwards, and they they were additions to Ezra and, uh, and to some of the uh, the history of uh, First Kings and, and, and Chronicles and so forth. 
Um, some of that is, is is good history. First and second vaccinations is, is, you know, it, it counts the history in between the Testaments of you know, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So it's valuable in that way. And, and some, of the, some of these books are actually in some of the, the codexes. Um, the Codex Sinaiticus has some of the old, of the Apocrypha in it as well. Um, but that was never, as it was pointed out by Isaiah, it was never received by the, the Jews. And it was never part of, you know, the Masoretic text was considered the word of God. Even in the time of the Apostles, the Apocrypha was never considered the word of God among the Jews, even though these things were written by Jews. They're useful for history, they're useful for, you know, the book of Ecclesiastes is, is, is useful for, you know, common sense. It sort of uh, goes along with Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of wise sayings in that, which are valuable. But it, it was never considered the word of God. And that's the point. The Jews never considered those things for it. And then when you come to the New Testament times, the New Testament authors never considered the word of God. They never wrote from those things. And you look internally at the part of it. In 2 Maccabees, it questions his own authority. If these things be the word of God, the word of God never does that. Uh, and there are other things as well. So that made it clear that it's, it's not scripture. Um, and then when you come to the New Testament time, the New Testament epistles were received as the word of God. Uh, and then you had questions about those who were sincere, like the epistle of Polycarp and other first covenant and so forth. Very useful things. I'm reading the first one right now because I wanted to see what it was like. And you know, but it basically reflects the scriptures, which is a good thing. But it doesn't go beyond the scriptures. So he's just trying to point out you know, what the scriptures say concerning what was going on in Corinth and trying to correct you know, things that were bad in that church at that time. So those things weren't received as the word of God, and they weren't propagated as much as, as the New Testament epistles were. Um, and then you have, of course, the Zootcraftia. So there's a wide range of things. Some things are very useful. Some things aren't useful at all. And my former pastor, he loved the, the book of Suzanne because of the mystery. It's like, you know, it's like a mystery novel type of thing. And, you know, it's entertaining, and, and you know, but, you know, you know, Alice in Wonderland is entertaining. So. Well, and the Catholic Church refers to that section of their Bible as the Apocrypha. Doesn't that mean, like, hidden or something? Or well, yes, it does. But they, they mix some of those things in, such as the uh, prayer of Manasseh, but but instead of having the Ezra, they have Ezra with this extra information. They call it one one thing. Mm -hmm. So they try to mix it in with the Old Testament too. Uh, it's not only second book, the separate books like Ecclesiastes. And was it all done under a pope? That sort of thing? Uh, the I'm not sure when it was received by the Roman Catholic Church, but it was not. It was not early. 
there was like so after um, the Council of Carthage, the, there was a I forget the uh, there was a council held in Rome where they decided that they were going to pick which books were going to be included in the, the canon. And I don't I think it may have been adjusted after that, but that it was it wasn't like too long after the Council of Carthage that. Uh, had an official list of the 27 books. Um, I think it was around the early 5th century. But yeah, they, they did really uh, in response to things that the Church of Rome has, has done that. They, they'll hold the council immediately after to make sure that they clarify what they mean by things. But uh, yeah, I hope these things are useful. Um, uh, and that's the, the goal, is to equip and help us to think about some of these questions and clarify things in our own mind. Are any of the, uh, the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church that we disagree with, do they come primarily from the Apocrypha, or are they used to support those doctrines? Uh, probably both, yes. <laughs> Uh, there is a quotation that they use from Second Maccabees to support purgatory, and it's. But yes, you are correct. Yeah. Um, I think we're going over time. I, the last time I was here, I held everyone until twelve, twelve or twelve twenty, something like that. So why not? Try to, <laughs> not <good> <laughs>